The gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of book of St. Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, It is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find a body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures unto us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them and assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated, and at home you probably already are. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? That's Luke 24, verse 32. We have a, a wonderful front seat, front row, and the scene is Easter afternoon. Cleopas and an unnamed disciple are walking the seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It took them probably about three hours to make the trip. Now a third man joins them a man who appeared not to know, not to understand the events that had taken place surrounding Jesus' crucifixion and his death. And so they talk. And the disciples readily admit that they were, they were really hoping Jesus would have been the one who was going to redeem Israel. That's Luke 24, 21. They also admit this, that they knew it was the third day since these things happened in verse 21. And for good measure, they confess that indeed some women came and told them about Jesus, the empty tomb, and the angels who said, he is still alive in verse 23. Now, from our front row seat, we, we see and we read that Jesus told them that they were foolish and slow of heart to believe what the, scripture, the Scriptures clearly teach them about the Savior who was to come. And why does it seem so hard to believe the obvious? Why don't all people who hear the gospel believe it right away? especially those who lived closest in, to Jesus' time. Why couldn't they believe it? They were right there. Well, they were sinful. Just like you and just like me, they were sinners. And so whatever the reasons for not getting it, right away they had no excuse other than their own sinful nature. Jesus had to open their minds, and he was made known to them in the breaking and the blessing of the bread. Then, then their eyes popped open. They knew who it was, and then he was gone. But he's not gone. Amen? He still comes to you, in the breaking of the bread, in his gospel that is preached in your baptism. He came to you, comes to you, is with you, 
And he comes to you in absolution. There, the crucified and risen Jesus, the one, the one who paid it all for your sins by his death on that cross, he saved you from everlasting damnation. That Jesus is made known to you through the sacraments. He's made known to you there in the scriptures. The word made flesh is given to you. Now, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to put words in your mouth or thoughts in your head. Have you ever thought, or have you ever asked this, do we have to go through confession again this week? Have you ever thought or said, it makes me uncomfortable, I'd much rather skip it? And why do we begin the divine service in this way anyway? Every week, same old thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. We begin... The divine service, we began the service, the divine service this morning, confessing that we have sinned. We confess the problem actually runs much deeper, much deeper than the sins we commit outwardly. We confess that not only have we sinned in that way, that we have sinned in our sin at our very core, at the very root of all things. We are sinners. We are sinners because we are sinful. And outside of baptism, sin is the only thing that defines us. One more time. Outside of baptism, sin is the only thing that defines us. But you are baptized. And that's the reason you might think that I would rather skip this part of the divine service. It reveals my old Adam. My sinful nature would rather run than be confronted with the truth. Now listen to this. God's law is a mirror. And it shows me, it shows you who who I am, who I really am. I am by nature sinful and unclean. I have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved God with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I justly deserve his present, his eternal punishment. Does that sound familiar? Does a light bulb go on or a bell ding? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us, says John. The truth is, 
that we are dead in our transgressions. The power of sin that rules over us means that we are by nature enemies of God. And that's why Dr. Norman Nagel writes this. Confession is facing up to God with no fudging. Confession is is facing up to God with no fudging. Confessing is as if he says, you sinner, and we say, yes, me sinner. Um, The caveman persona uh, emphasis was my own. Forgive me. But that's the way it is. That's about how in-depth it is. Oh, the glorious exchange to us, simple sinners. God's divine service gifts, his gifts, they flow from the beginning to the end of this service. And although my old Adam or your old Adam might fight against and despise it, my new nature in Christ sees confession only as a gift of faith. It is faith that hears the word of God declaring us sinful and confesses the same. Yes, we are sinners. But more importantly, more importantly, we are forgiven sinners. This is the dynamic of repentance. Sinners confessing their sin because they yearn for the comforting of absolution. We confess because we want to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. In the Augsburg Confession, it affirms this. Repentance consists properly of two parts. One is contrition, and that is terror smiting the conscience through the knowledge of sin. And the other is faith which is born of the gospel or of absolution and believes that for Christ's sake, sins are forgiven. It comforts the conscience and it delivers it from terrors. Now, repentance also consists of two parts, confession and absolution. Just as the processional was all about Jesus, so repentance and confession and absolution is all about Jesus. Confession is all about Jesus who became our sin for us. When we confess, we place our sins on Christ. Our sins have been given to Christ and they are done away with. We no longer carry the guilt, the shame, and death sin once rightly held over us. We are, like the Israelites, placing their sins on the one who can take that sin away. As it is written, he is to lay both hands and the head, excuse me, he is to lay both hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion, the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. That's Leviticus 16.21. 
Now, we, you, me, place our sins on the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world in his death. The goat spoken of in Leviticus is a shadow, a shadow of Christ. It was Christ who carried our sins to his death. The divine service begins with forgiveness. And sinners cannot enter or stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God. We do not have a God who is only holy and righteous. We have a God who is filled with compassion and mercy for sinners. And absolution is peace that is gifted in forgiveness. Absolution brings us life when we are dead in sin. This gift is delivered to us in the words of our pastor who speaks the words of Christ to us. And the absolution, the absolutions are life-filled gospel words. Now, we are free to confess because we no longer bear the punishment for our sins. The punishment that we deserve was placed on Jesus. And he took responsibility. He took responsibility for the wrong that we did. He took responsibility for the good that we left undone. Jesus has freed us from having to work for our own salvation. And we are given the gift of faith to believe the words of absolution from our pastor because we are forgiven. We have peace to live a life of thankfulness. We have peace to live a life of service to our neighbor. We are forgiven. It's who we are. We are redeemed, forgiven, baptized children of God. The absolution is a promise. The absolution is a promise. You are forgiven for Christ's sake. And that's a promise that is kept. Finally, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Now what does that mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. That's from our small catechism on the third commandment. Let me ask you this. We're almost done, I promise. If, if you knew that you if you knew that a million dollars was going to be given out after the sermon each week, what would you do? You would never, ever miss church, right? You wouldn't even think about it. After all, you could get a million dollars after the sermon. Yet, every Sunday, our Lord gives away eternal life at your church. Every Sunday, Jesus takes what he won for you with his holy life and bitter sufferings and death, and he makes it yours. He makes it yours in baptism, 
He makes it yours in the Word, in the sermon, and in the Lord's Supper. And, and, and the cost, how much does that cost? How much would you give for eternal life? A million dollars? A trillion dollars? All that you had? No, the cost is all that Jesus had. Amen. It's his life. It's his death. You see, salvation has been, it's been earned by Jesus and delivered to you solely by grace. That is, that is as a gift. What he earned, he gave to you. It is received by you and by me. It is received by faith alone. So which is more important to you? Oh, boy. Which is more important to you, the money or forgiveness? Well, let me ask you, how do you live? You make uh, all sorts of things, higher priorities than church, don't you? Now, I have to admit something before I go on, that since I became a pastor, my church attendance is really good. But I have to tell you this because I love you. So you have all kinds of priorities, and sometimes church isn't just on that list. Sometimes it's St. Mattress. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's school. Sometimes, I don't know, you fill it in. I'm not going to do that for you. But I bet you you wouldn't miss church if you knew that a million dollars was going to be given out after the sermon. And there really is something significant going on in the church every Sunday. It's not a ton of money. It's the forgiveness of sins. So, repent of your sins and cling to your Savior. For the glory of God is this, that Jesus died for you anyway, regardless of whether you're here today or not. He died for you. And he has given you another opportunity to hear his word of forgiveness. You have been raised again to a life, no longer despising or treating his word like it's nothing but clinging to Jesus' word of pardon. You're clinging to Jesus' word of pardon like your life depended on it. And it does. So in the sermon this weekend, you got something. Something more precious than a million dollars. You receive Jesus. You receive his cross You receive his forgiveness. You receive his life, his salvation. And glory be to Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen.